Hello, ladies. It's Kevin Batchelder. I'm going to try to make these thoughts as brief as I can here, because uh, as you know, uh, I could go for a while on the emotional impact of this show and fandom. But as the three of you know, and I think some other folks who are listeners know, I'm a huge fan of genre TV shows, have been for many, many years. I watch a lot of shows. I enjoy many of them. I love a few of them, but there are only a couple that have really had a lasting emotional impact on me. And Lost Girl is definitely very near, if not at the top of that list. It's really been something pretty special. The Kenzie and Bo friendship and then the entire cast is pretty amazing. And the fact that this show has led me to meet the three of you and be so blessed to be able to call you friends and many other folks from the fandom, pretty special stuff. You know, a lot of things go on in all of our lives, up and down, and things that come and go. But uh, some pretty amazing stuff, and I'm going to have some friendships, I think, for a long, long time because of this show. So it has meant an immense amount to me. And, you know, I really try, as I get older, certainly one of the older folks here, <laughs> uh, to very much live in the moment. You never know what's going to happen in life, good or bad, so you enjoy it when it happens. And I've been trying to do that, certainly, uh, the last couple of years uh, for this show, knowing that it's got to come to an end. Before it gets kind of dusty in here and I uh, start rambling too much, I did want to share a couple of quick things. Uh, a little fun snippet. I'm going to play an audio clip here from the very first Lost Girl fan panel that we did at Dragon Con going back three or four years. I think you folks will appreciate this one. So here goes. I, I watch a lot of genre shows. I'll try out almost anything. But, but there's only a few that kind of get to that top level of just, you know, can't wait to see it kind of stuff. And that's certainly where Lost Girl was for me. The chemistry between the cast is something, you know, on all different levels that was really came together really fast, especially in season one. You don't often see that. So it really created a nice dynamic for me there. You know, I'm sure most of the people in the room with me is Kenzie, the best sidekick on TV or what? Yeah, guess you kind of knew that one was coming, didn't you? So I really appreciate everything you folks have done on the podcast and continue to do as it goes forward. It's really something special, and the three of you are as well, so thank you. Final thought here, a quote from Dr. Seuss. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Welcome to Drinks at the Doll, episode 132. Listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast waystation for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I'm Chris. And this is our long awaited, long planned, <laughs> long attempted to do. Months in the making. <laughs> so long. <laughs> Season five, listener feedback episode. We, inc- we intended to do an episode like this when the show stopped airing on Showcase back in like November of 2015. Yeah. And now it's April. I know. End of April of 2016. I feel really bad about it, <laughs> listeners. I We had just life happened. We got sick and had stuff going on. So it just kind of got pushed back and then we finally got and then it was going to air in the u.s and we thought well we we should really just wait until the u.s has seen it might as well wait Mm -hmm. yeah and then everybody got sick again i know know. annie had surgery i was ill like uh it's just bad i started another podcast (laughs) (laughs) so chris 
I really I know, do. I'm sorry. I really do apologize. It's taken us so long to get this episode made, but we're here today recording it. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> it's finally happening. Stephanie's like, I can get it out of my system. I know. I know. I'm really happy we're doing this. And thank you so much to, to Kevin Batchelder who sent in the message that began this episode. You're our buddy, Kevin. Aw, you make me mushy. Oh, I love you, Kevin. <laughs> I love your mushiness, even if Stephanie doesn't. Always. <laughs> Let's start off with some feedback that we got when we did our 10 days of Lost Girl Season 5 episodes. Let's talk about some moments that made people happy. Pixel51 says, favorite Season 5 moment, either Ksenia Solo's Dance of the Moth Woman or <laughs> Zoe Palmer as Stoner Lola from Follow the Yellow Trick Road. Dance of the Moth Woman, that just makes me giggle. <laughs> it's not inaccurate. No, and I liked that. It's true. <laughs> Mardeth and Hoyan Teresa La says, oh boy, yes. Yes! <laughs> Somebody agrees with me. Did you think people wouldn't? <laughs> and then Kevin being the most Kevin ever. <laughs> yes. Kevin says, like Hell Part 1, 16 minutes and 17 seconds into the episode, <laughs> Kenzie is back, baby! You know, and then you know Kevin knows that time code by heart. Precisely. There are like six exclamation points. I think he's excited about it. It's so hard to tell. <laughs> <laughs> And then Wendy says, the Tamsin birthday Lexus bow moment. I'm all, wait, Lexus? What? <laughs> Lexus bow with a W. Yeah, yeah. Because there's the giant bow wrapped around her bosom. It, it took me a minute, minute to figure out what she meant to Annie. Don't feel bad. I was like, is that her middle name? Oh, no, wait a minute. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. And then moving into day two, Annie, you want to you mention some of the favorite Kenzie moments that we got from people? Denise said, dream not Kenzie, kissing Bo. Is this Moth Kenzie? Is that what she's talking about? Moth Kenzie, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay, just making sure. And Meredith said, I agree with Annie, the museum guide was classic Kenzie. It really was. (laughs) And we got a a voicemail from Virginia. Take it away, Virginia. Hi, guys, this is Virginia from Old Ain't Dead. Uh, I just wanted to say that I've lived a long time through all the days of cowboy movies that were only men and westerns that were only men and gangster movies that were only men and television shows that were only men. And I appreciate it so much when a show like Lost Girl comes along that's practically all women and just love it. I really love it for that reason alone. I love all the characters and I love the actors, but Mostly, I just love to see a show that's all women starring up in the front. Thank you for sending that in. I I agree. That was a big thing that drew me to Lost Girl from the first couple of episodes. It was just so clear that the show, even though it had male characters, like these were really fully formed female characters who were at the center of the story. And I feel like the show got even more woman-centered as it went on. And it's usually the opposite. Agreed. And I'm so grateful for it, especially with stuff that's going on currently on TV, which I'm bitter about. I'm so bitter about it. Oh, I understand. And that's how Lost Girl got introduced to me because of the woman-woman relationships. And so many people were paying attention to Docubus and that the show became known for that couple. So that's how a lot of people touted it to their friends. And my friend said, you've got to watch this show because of this relationship between two women. And not to mention the relationship, of course, between Kenzie and Bo. 
I was going to say, I think Kenzie and Bo, that's what yeah. sealed the deal for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I love that the show did relationship, all kinds of relationships with women. And in response to our Daisy question about characters people wanted to see more of in season five, a lot of people also mentioned Ebony, like Annie did in our podcast episode. Leslie, Pixel 51, Denise, Lee, Arlene. Yeah, there was a lot of, of Ebony love when we were talking about characters that we wish we could have seen more of. And then Meredith mentioned wanting to see more Dyson. Which I can get as when I was thinking back about it, I, I feel like they had like a little bit of a storyline start for him in the Shifter Hunter episode. It seemed like Dyson was maybe done being the good guy and not going to follow the rules anymore, but that didn't really play out throughout the season. So yeah, I could see wanting more Dyson. And then Annie, I'm sure agrees with Lee, would have liked to have seen more Lauren. And sex. <laughs> Sex is not a character. Lee did not mention that, <laughs> just to be clear. I just put that on as an add-on, but yes. And as Chris said, sex is not a character. <laughs> <laughs> Though one could maybe make an argument that it practically became one. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Or, I was but going that, to make the joke that you could argue they've got Bo, but... Ah, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But her name is not sex. <laughs> but speaking of Lauren, we got some feedback from Nina, who wanted to ask a question about part of Lauren's storyline in this season. Nina says, how long do you think Lauren has been planning or doing research about turning humans to Fae? Since episode 406 to beginning. She makes that comment to the beginning or something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right, right, right. She toasts with the dark bitch. Yeah. yeah. Or perhaps even episode 303 tests about human and Fae blood. Do y'all have any thoughts about this? I think this is an interesting question. I think, that, yeah, there were definitely hints about it. Yeah, even as early as 303, because then there's everything that happens with Taft and 313 that could have contributed to Lauren's human to Fay research. And, yeah, it's just, um, it was really subtly hinted at and then really kind of became, you know, to fruition in season five. I just wish it hadn't been ended so quickly. But... Yeah, so I can understand Lee's comment earlier of wanting more Lauren, of just wanting that storyline fleshed out more. Yeah, because I think Lauren got a decent story arc in season five, but I do think they took some shortcuts in it where I feel like they could have explored aspects of it more thoroughly. The human mm-hmm. versus Fae aspects versus the dangers of turning yourself Fae. Yeah. Chris, do you have any thoughts about this? I mean, I'm inclined to think that season three would have been the beginnings of it, just mm-hmm. because she actually managed to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, by the end of season three, that was the culmination of season three was that she did actually turn a human fey. Yeah, I wonder if it's something that retrospectively we could see always kind of percolating there for Lauren, because they made clear mm-hmm. in the beginning that, you know, she's a human who's fascinated with the fey. No, but maybe her relationship with Bo, falling in love with Bo, that became a motivator for her to explore that possibility of potentially turning herself fay or turning humans fay. And because I, I think I got the impression, you know, she was forced to do it. Well, I didn't get the impression. They made it clear she was forced to do it when it came to Taft. However, right. whether she was thinking about that beforehand, I think you could make an argument that it, it probably had crossed her mind. Right. I guess that's what I'm getting at more is like i don't doubt that she would have perhaps been contemplating the possibility 
in advance of actually being capable of doing it and being forced to do it. Or even since before the series began, timeline lies, because she's been with the Fae for five years at that point, that she could have always been thinking about it or doing her own research uh, as a way to have something, have some power against the Fae, that she could just gain some power over them by saying, look, I can turn Fae human, or I can turn myself Fae to use that kind of as card to draw against them. But I think her motivations with that would have changed when she fell in love with Bo, just wanting to turn herself face so she could be with her. It's possible, though. I don't know that the captivity issue was ever quite as prevalent as it was in season two. Or yeah. As- I mean, you know, I'm just throwing that out there. It's a, as a percolating idea in Lauren's mind that it could have been there from the beginning. No, I don't know. It's for f- headcanon, I suppose. Since we're talking about Lauren, I feel the need, because I am who I am, and I like to be right, that uh, I I was thinking (laughs) back to Like Hell Part 1, and you two were just, like, adamant about the idea that Lauren was not treating humans in her clinic in Season 5. But, however, I was re-watching Here Comes the Night the other day, and Lauren is talking to Bo about how she's happy about her position in the clinic because she gets to work with both Faye and humans. Ha-ha! Vindication Stephanie. <laughs> okay. okay. Was, I, I, was I adamant that she wasn't treating humans, or was I adamant that it was a Faye clinic? Because there's a difference. <laughs> there's a difference, Stephanie. I don't see the difference, but fine. I don't remember whether how you phrased it. It's been a while. <laughs> okay, now I'm going to go back and listen. Because it could be a fake clinic where they still treat, like, claimed humans or something. Ah, see? claimed humans. That's different than just human off the street who needs a clinic. I just remember us having a conversation that there's no way there were humans in that clinic because of how not surreptitious she was being about the guy burping flames. Humans who are not in the know, (laughs) Stephanie. You were not specific back then. (laughs) Mm, Fine. I just love how Stephanie uses this opportunity to bring up a moment where she's right. (laughs) Y'all She just likes to gloat, is really what it is. Y'all are welcome to use this episode for gloating purposes of your own as well. (laughs) And everybody is turning off the episode right now. (laughs) (laughs) So let's move on to some responses we got about our day four question, moments that made us laugh. Pixel 51, Stacy K. Corbett quitting her job at Bayou Burrito <laughs> in Valkyrie. What is it? Sweet Valkyrie High. Sweet Valkyrie High. Yeah, yeah. I, that was funny. Just just Stacy as a Bayou Burrito employee was a funny moment. Yeah. <laughs> Stacy in general is pretty is a funny. funny character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think on, on Twitter, somebody else mentioned the line that she had directly after quitting her job where she says she's talking oh, about. Oh, I just pants. Yeah, I just chalupid my pants. <laughs> and then Denise said, without a doubt, it's all of your, it's your lucky fae. And Hoy on Teresa Law agrees. That was probably one of their more just out and out comedic episodes. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, you know, every, every season has just, a pretty much straight comedic episode, and that was it for season five. And Leslie actually sent us a voice message about moments that made her laugh in season five. Pretty much any Kenzie moment, because she was hilarious. She was definitely one of my favorite characters. Well, there was a lot of funny moments on Lost Girl. There was also a lot of sad, I'm serious, Lost Girl totally messed with my emotions. 
It's it's a great show, and I miss it so much now that it's gone. I think Kenzie is a pretty good answer for moments that make you laugh. Just Kenzie, generally, makes you laugh. Kenzie of everything, yes. But, but I do like her point that Lost Girl, as well as being really humorous, also had a lot of really affecting, touching moments. And I think that's what made it such an effective show. I yeah, agree. Exactly. I mean, I think yeah. the fact that they are so funny so much of the time really sort of, I don't know, enhances the drama in other aspects of the show. Well, and there aren't many shows like that, and we've discussed this, the uniqueness of shows that have just straight comedy episodes and then shows that are really good at the drama, and then the actors and the writers that can pull that off so effectively. We had a couple people who mentioned their favorite battle scenes to us. Wendy liked Stacy and Timson's doubt off. <laughs> I was just thinking about that the other day. Are they having a doubt off? <laughs> and then Denise liked the Bow and Z showdown in Clear Eyes Fay Hearts. Bo did not fare well in that showdown. She got her butt handed to her. <laughs> she got her butt zapped. Yes, she yep. did. That was a pretty cool special effect, though. The the lightning zing. Is that the official term? Yes, I think so. Zing. Zing. We got a lot of interesting feedback from folks. A lot of it's speculation, a lot of, and some of it's commentary about Hades's. I'm just, I just want to call him Jack. Jack's plan in in season five. In particular, we got some about his, his so-called plan B. He even mentions a plan B toward the end of the season. Plan B for baby. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> As we all make similar sounds of disgust. Mm. Because we're all disgusted by it. Yes. Yep. But here's what we, we got from Rohan the Thunder Duck, who has the best screen name ever. Yes. Well, while I did not like the baby aspect of season five, I do think that Jack had a plan B the whole time. He guided Lauren into becoming Faye that, so that he could use her for that plan. Her breakup with Bo and turning back human saved her womb. Jack then went on to the <laughs> second part of plan B that rhymes with T, and that stands for Tamsin. Just an idea, though. So there's some speculation. Well, that just made me shudder reading that in disgust. I know. Like, I, I don't know if I 100% can get on board, but at the same time, Jack really did encourage Lauren in the whole turning herself Faye thing, and I do have to wonder what all his motives were in that encouragement. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I naively believe that he just wanted Lauren to be with Bo, but then Bo accuses him and Rise of, well, you broke me up with my girlfriend, and I'm like, yeah, but what exactly was his role in that? I thought that was all kind of Lauren's idea, so I was confused by that line. He made it possible for Lauren to turn Faye, though, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But what was his motivation? Yeah, it's very strange. Well, I think there's a lot of questions we could ask about Hades' plan, and in fact, we got some from, from Little Bad Wolf. Chris, do you mind reading that? Little Bad Wolf says, How was Timson's baby plan B? Hades needed a succubus possessed by the Pyrrhus in order to suck the chi out of everyone so Hades could fill them with his will. So how does a baby with a Valkyrie fulfill that? Some have said Dagny was a succubus, but I don't understand how that would happen, given how they've discussed fae genetics. Even if Dagny was a succubus, the Pyrrhus seems to allow the multi-chi suck, so is there more than one Pyrrhus? So confused. How did Dagny get the glowy handprint since Hades never touched her? We never saw Bo's handprint until she was on the train of damned souls. Yeah, this is oh, a good, good question. Questions. Like, what what is his plan for for Dagny potentially in the future? I that's a good question. Well, that's a good question about Dagny having the handprint cuz I never thought about that, but then I thought, well, maybe because since his genetics is in there, 
And he, of course, alludes to some line, some throwaway line about the handprint going, Our connection runs deeper than a handprint. And me and Stephanie were all going, Why would you make such a big deal about it in the first place? Because I think we could, if we want to sort of make, connect the dots here, we could say that Rainer somehow gave Bo the handprint that we see on her. But just what I thought happened. Yeah, but then we have Dagny, and how did that get there? Or does that suggest that the handprint was always there? Even See, that's what I thought it suggested. It, when they're born, they just had them, even if he doesn't, he's not there when they're born. Mm-hmm. Who knows? We're probably thinking about it too much. <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably. But now I'm thinking, wait, there was that whole thing where they were going to cut the handprint out of Bo, right? Mm-hmm. So could, they could do that with Dagny, mm-hmm. still, yeah, theoretically. True. Because didn't she do that? Bo did cut it out, and then he put it back on her in the finale. Yeah. Yeah. But speaking of the handprint, we also got some speculation from Wendy here. Wendy said, I think only Hades' children got the handprint, and Rainer not only had had that, but he had the power to see the future, which Bo and Dagny have, but Dad had it big time. Something else to wonder about that will be lost to the ages. Also, I get a feeling Hades must have known that somehow Trick was going to bind him to Tartarus with his blood, and he set all this up way before it ever happened. I also get the feeling that Aoife and Rainer were a brief item before she was sent to the Dark Dungeons. Mm. I'm trying to remember, though, because she mentions Bo being able to see the future. I don't remember that. Yeah, that didn't happen yeah there was there was a thing where Bo had a she she was having dreams of the future Mm -hmm. yeah but that was part of the dawning yeah and it stopped after the dawning as far as i know yeah so i'm not sure about that part but the idea that rainer might have been hades children i i'm it's a it's Definite speculation. It makes me go, ugh, mm. both had sex with him. You know, like. <laughs> oh, God, I never thought about that. I hope not. But I think Wendy's thoughts here, I think, point out the fact that that's still kind of something that's was not tied up very neatly in season five. Like, mm, what no. was Rainer doing and why was he part of Hades' extremely complicated <sighs> plan? Right. Oh, and Wendy, you are not the only person who thinks that Aoife and Rainer might have been an item. I, I've seen several people wondering about that. I think I was wondering about that at mm-hmm. one point, just because there, there was a line that made it sound like, you know, maybe there was a thing there. I don't know. At the very least, they knew each other. I think there was clear indication of. So. Yeah. Rainer mentioned no one. <sighs> Who knows? Confusing. <laughs> yeah. In a way, it's like, I kind of wish they had made it clear what Rainer's role was. But by that point, I was kind of like... Rainer, I don't really want to talk about him anymore. Yeah. So <laughs> a lot of people it. seem to feel that way. Yeah, I guess so. the show felt that way because they did never bring him up again. Yeah. <laughs> we also got a voicemail from our friend Rebecca, who apparently likes it when I call her our friend Rebecca. <laughs> so our friend Rebecca. I'm sorry I told on you, Rebecca. Hi, girls. It's Rebecca. It took me a really long time to get around to sending this in, partially because I couldn't really think of how to express everything I was feeling about Lost Girl ending. I love Lost Girl so much, and I was so devastated when I heard that it was ending. I think one of the reasons I was so sad it was over, besides missing the characters and the stories, uh, was because I'd made so many amazing friends through the fandom, and I wasn't sure what would happen once the buzz around the finale was over. Um, But it turns out I didn't need to worry about that at all, because our love of strong female characters in genre television has led us to migrate to other shows together, including Emily Andrus' new show, Winona Earp. So even though Lost Girl's over, the fandom lives on, and Lost Girl will always mean so much to me. 
Uh, thanks for all the great podcasts and all the laughs. I'm looking forward to listening to your Winona Earp coverage and other shows in the future. Cheers. Thank you for that voice message, Rebecca. I am also glad that we seem to, as a group, be moving on to being little parts of fandoms for other shows. Because now yes. we've got, yeah, Winona Earp and Killjoys and or th- other things that people from Lost Girl are, are working on now. So. Yeah. We must hold each other close throughout the craziness of fandom and, you know, I, never mind, I don't know what I was saying, but <laughs> I just, it's nice to have found people that are on the same level as you in fandom. You know what I mean? I do. We get each other. We gotta stick together. Annie can just, you know, tweet Docubus sex and get like 57 likes, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she does. I know. I do. <laughs> We got a few responses about people's favorite sets or locations in season five. Little Bad Wolf says, I loved the penthouse. It was a great open space and they used it effectively. The idea of Valhalla as a hotel was pretty cool. And the area by the stairs was fabulous. That was really neat. They used that staircase well. They did. Was also impressed by the outdoor storm aftermath scene, given the show's budget, though that entire episode needed more light, a consistent <laughs> complaint with some episodes of the show. We can't see the sex! I'm kidding. <laughs> I was not kidding! You're right, Annie. <laughs> Vex's RV was totally cool. Wish we could have had a glimpse of Lauren's new digs, but the clinic made more sense. Though why would you keep Jack there? And then three question marks, and I agree. I agree, little bad wolf. Because yeah, it's that, the only set we have. <laughs> I agree. That was kind of an odd choice, but they had the set. Wendy said, I loved Ebony's home where she had her fundraiser. I thought the penthouse was very cool. I love the whole concept and execution of Follow the Yellow Trick Road, specifically all the empty city scenes with Bo and Thomasina. Yeah. Yeah, I like those empty city scenes and how they were shot, you know, with all the only color being the red and the sepia tone. So mm-hmm. I thought that was cool. Yep. And uh, Denise said, our classic set, the Dal Riata. That is a great set. I do really like that set. I don't know if you guys have read this, but it was like, might have been the clubhouse and the Dal Riata sets that were donated to, I think somewhere in Toronto, like a film school or something to be used after the show was done. So it lives on. It lives on, apparently. Yay. Really? Cool. Yeah. That makes me happy to think about me too. Mm-hmm. Not surprisingly, we got a lot of feedback after Judgment Fay aired. <laughs> Most of it was people being very sad about Bo and Lauren breaking up. I-, I wanted to be able to include some of it in this episode, but a lot of it just kind of, it didn't make sense to include since we know how the series ends at this point. But thank you, everybody who sent us that feedback and commiserating with particularly Eddie's sadness. Yes. <laughs> I don't like to think about the memory of it, but let's move on. But we got some feedback about that episode concerning something besides the breakup scene. And it, it came from Brianna, and I thought this was an interesting observation on her part. Chris, do you mind reading this? Re the Jackson Pollock painting and that amusing comment about it being offensive. Jackson Pollock has kind of become synonymous with ejaculation. <laughs> For example, I just happened to watch an episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine tonight where someone was describing DNA not found at the scene. Quote, no semen and a rental van's usually a frickin' Jackson Pollock, end quote. <laughs> also, a choice Star-Lord Star quote from Guardians of the Galaxy. Quote, if I had a blacklight, this would look like a Jackson Pollock painting, end quote. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. I, I, I like that, Brianna. I like that a lot. I, I like it, and I can, I can see your point, and 
Now I'm just thinking of Jollum Jackson Pollock synonymous with the word ew. <laughs> All George O'Keefe paintings are now giant vaginas. All Jackson Pollock paintings are now just lots of semen. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I vaguely want to make some joke about if you put Jackson Pollock paintings in the same room as a George O'Keefe painting, we get more paintings. <laughs> Just can't even oh, laugh. That's a good one. <laughs> Do you get like little baby mini paintings? Oh, thank you, Chris. Oh my god! Thank you very much. I'm You're still welcome. stunned, so I, I can't say anything. Well, then let's move on to a voicemail that we got from our good friend Sally. I wish Sally was here. She could make some kind of painting pun. <laughs> hey, Stephanie, Chris, and Annie. This is Sally. So, Lost Girl is over. I have been surprised that I haven't been feeling more of a sense of loss since it ended. I miss it a lot, but not having it on TV and then all of the tidal wave of emotion that preceded and then followed every episode and all of the, you know, stuff that surrounded it, discussing it, thinking about it. I miss that too, but it's also freed up a lot of my time and energy to watch other TV shows, which has been, you know, really interesting. I just wasn't watching that much TV when Lost Girl was on. I met so many amazing people because of the show, and I'm still in touch with many, most of them, including you guys. The show really changed my life. I got to say about the ending, I was so happy with it. And I loved the finale. Without giving any spoilers, I loved how the finale left the door open for there to be more stories. So I was thinking maybe that is why I'm okay with the show having run its course, because it can exist forever as this wonderful story with these great characters who went on a journey of personal growth, and then the ending filled up my heart. It's not one of those TV shows that I think of with some kind of regret about the ending, like several that you guys could probably name. Well, I love you, Lost Girl, and all of the smart, funny, beautiful people who made you happen, and all of the smart, funny, beautiful fans who created a community around it. So I like Sally's thoughts about how being satisfied with the ending of Lost Girl maybe like, you know, lessening the pain of the show being over. Because I think I've generally seen from a lot of fans that, you know, even though, and I think us included, we had issues with maybe season five generally, that the finale episode was actually a pretty good conclusion for the show. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Also, Sally would have made some joke about art reproductions, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Good Lord. I'll stop, I promise. (laughs) No, please don't. (laughs) We also got a voicemail from Matt, kind of pondering about some ele- aspects of the of the show that I thought were was interesting. The show is about its characters first and foremost, and I think most of the fans would agree with me on that. So I understand the perspective that watching our characters interact and grow is more important than specific plot lines. But I would argue that both the utter lack of long-term tangible rules on this show, I'm talking about things like the Valkyries dying at childbirth randomly being thrown in, and the lack of any real coherent storyline uh, from season one to the finish has really affected it very negatively. From Aether's plot in season one to the Garuda dawning evil human scientists to Greek gods in the final season, these things just don't go well together. And ultimately, there's been a real sense of haphazard improvisation, improvisation than long-term plans. 
I would wager that the constant changing of EPs and showrunners is probably a big reason behind this. While some might say that the show's willingness to be sex-positive, feminist, and the live-the-life-I-choose phrase form its core, I, j- I don't see a clear and coherent single vision guiding the show, which has meant its wild swings in plots generally just left it bereft of any truly engaging storylines in its later seasons. I often wonder had the darker vision of the show Jay Firestone once talked about had prevailed, or if John Fawcett had remained on LG instead of uh, creating Orphan Black, or on both, what things might have been like. Uh, in any case, I believe they had a single showrunner uh, stage from start to finish, this show would have been much more coherent and well thought out, even if this more singular vision may have disappointed some sections of the audience, depending on where this vision may have led to. Uh, thank you very much for your podcast, and looking forward to Orphan Black and Killjoys in the future. Bye. Thank you for your voicemail, Matt. I actually, when I first got this voicemail, which is, he sent this a while ago when the show ended in on Showcase back in, what was it, November or something like that? I don't even remember anymore. <laughs> Let's say it was November of last year, yeah. And I'd actually at the time really been thinking about the fact that Lost Girl went through three showrunners over the course of five seasons. And I often don't pay much attention to showrunners and when they switch, so I'm not entirely sure if that's a large amount. I don't think it really is. I think shows switch showrunners more often than we realize. Yeah, I think it kind of depends. I mean, Part of it is it depends on the show and the fandom. I think people mm-hmm. are becoming more aware of such things these days just because it's easier to know about it through social right. media and such. But right. I remember like Buffy, I think, changed showrunners at least a couple times, right? Yeah, because I remember Marty Noxon was a showrunner for a while. Yeah. So again, I'm not entirely sure if three showrunners over five seasons is unusual or not, but I do think it's interesting to like think about how the show changed over those different showrunners. Cause especially now that like Michelle Avretta, who did the first two seasons and Emily Andrus, who did the second two seasons, they've gone on and they're now running different shows. I think you can get a sense of like what aspects of storytelling really interest them. I agree. I, I actually think there was maybe another showrunner or co-showrunner in there in season two. I think I read somewhere that Mm. it was Michelle Lovretta and somebody else did season two, but I could be wrong about that. But like looking looking at Killjoys, which Michelle Lovretta was the creator on, considering Killjoys, considering the first two seasons of Lost Girl, I think the big thing that jumps out to me is that Michelle Lovretta seems to have a really big interest in, to put it in a very tactical way, like social stratification and class division like that seems to be something really interesting to her because we have the light and dark fae as well as fae and human divides over on lost girl and then over on killjoys you have the different planets that are clearly like different classes of people right i'd say social stratification and platonic friendship that is the center of everything (laughs) yes yes absolutely and then looking at emily andrus's two seasons and winona earp which she's now a showrunner creator for I feel like it's not as quite as apparent. I, I think, again, she has sort of a, a relationships between women, like platonic relationships between women seems to be something that's of interest to her. Yes. Sisterly, sisterly relationships. Yeah. There we go. You know, <laughs> zingy one-liners, like <laughs> that's not necessarily an interest. But I, <laughs> Sure um, it is. Why not? <laughs> both of them, though, I think show an interest in kind of mystery plot lines kind of people with mysterious intentions. Mm-hmm. If we want to get really specific, like white dudes with, with mysterious <laughs> intentions. 
<laughs> and motives seems to be something that she that she's into. If you look at like seasons one and two of Lost Girl versus seasons three and four, I think, you know, the light dark fae, the fae human stuff, it's still in there, but I think it's dialed down quite a bit in seasons three and four. It's no longer the big thing that's like driving the storylines. Right. And then when we got to season five with Michael Grassy, he hasn't gone on to do anything else showrunnery. He's now writing for Supergirl, I believe. Yes. But that's where I feel like he didn't seem to have all that much interest when it came to the light, dark fae stuff and not as much interest in the fae human stuff. Like the fae human stuff was still there a little bit, but it was way, way, way dialed down. Right. It was much more prominent even in Emily Andrus's run. Yeah. I will say regarding Michael Grassy, because he's on Supergirl now, Supergirl also focuses on a sister relationship being like the center of everything. But Kenzie wasn't really in season five. I know. Not his fault. Not his fault. I'm, I'm mostly saying, if you like the Bo and Kenzie relationship, watch Supergirl. Oh, this is just Chris doing a plug for Supergirl. Got it. It really kind of is. Because, <laughs> I mean, if you, I, I know a lot of people who started watching Supergirl and then were just kind of like, eh, and sort of stopped watching. Keep watching it because the end of the season is really amazing. Like, I love it so much. So back to Matt's point about how <laughs> the changing showrunners might have affected Lost Girl. I, you know, I do think it affected the types of stories that they told, which then, depending on your perspective, can affect the effectiveness of the storytelling for you in those particular seasons. Right. I will say that I agree that it feels not quite disjointed, but a little bit. Yeah, I think that I think that's fair, because especially if you compare like the first couple of seasons to the later, not as much in season three, but I think maybe four and five you know, I, I do think you can feel a big difference in the style of storytelling there, and you kind of feel like foundation needed to be laid for these stories that you're telling now back in seasons one and two, and it just wasn't. Mm-hmm. By the time we got to stuff in season five, it's just kind of like, this is not at all how we started Yeah, with the yeah. Greek gods and whatnot. Moving on to people's favorite outfits from season five, we got a, a few responses from folks. Wendy says, something about women in pencil skirts, Bowen Tamsin in Judgment Fay, or Linda Hamilton in Sweet Valkyrie High, and Mistress Freya in Like Hell or in the Black Dress from Sweet Valkyrie High. Yeah, Linda Hamilton in Sweet Valkyrie High in her retro sexy teacher look. <laughs> it, 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 it worked for me. I said it before and I'll say it again. Like, she was pulling it off. She really was. I really loved your comment, Stephanie, about how we must have Anna Silk being a lawyerly show because she looked really good as a lawyer in Judgment Fay. And I she agree. Did. <laughs> I agree. And then Denise said she liked Z's red dress. That was definitely a very unique dress. Like, I, I can't, I don't think that I've seen anything quite like it before or since then. It's very sparkly. Since we're talking about outfits on the show this season, I also wanted to do another shout out for Vex's heels and that fantastic shot of him in Rise where, you know, they're panning down on the guys confronting the the crazed elders and there's Vex, you know, battle ready wearing his heels. I just, I think that's an amazing shot. Which he apparently had recently changed into, I think, right? Didn't we, didn't we see a shot before with him and he was not wearing the heels? They're apparently Vex's battle heels. Yes, and and I like that in season five, it feels like Vex became a more explicitly queer character. I think there was always undertones of that in earlier seasons, of course, but I, I liked in season five that he just became a gay character. 
Though we did first see the heels in the beginning of season four, which had the like spectacular, <laughs> that whole outfit was just amazing. And the entrance and yeah, I don't even have words for it. <laughs> yes, but he didn't have a love interest in season four. So I feel like as the show went on, Vex became more of an explicitly gay character. And I, I really liked that aspect of season five. That's fair. Yeah. Though, you know, one word, Stephanie, codpiece. <laughs> Moving on to some of uh, people's favorite quotes from season five, uh, Pix51 uh, liked the moment where Trick is talking to Stacy and pulls a French fry out of her hair. <laughs> you have a French fry in your hair, <laughs> which uh, I had forgotten about that moment, but that was really funny. I'm telling you, Stacy, Stacy's just a good source of comedy. She mm-hmm. is. She really is. And then Pixel 51 also mentioned the, a line that Thomasina had in Follow the Yellow Trick Road. I'm going to die in these woods with a girl wearing gingham. <laughs> and Meredith said, I want to start my class. I teach high school one day by looking at my students and saying, what's up, mother fairs? From I don't think that'll go over that well, Meredith. <laughs> well, we would advise against it, though I understand the impulse. Oh, uh, me too. Meredith also had a, rummer, a runner up. Not a rummer up. <laughs> Have you been been? I've been rumming up. Yeah, yeah obviously. <laughs> I haven't actually. Now I'm now I'm bummed. I'm not drinking anything. Damn it. Me too. Okay. <laughs> Meredith also had a runner up. You've really got the wrong girl, <laughs> which uh, Lauren said to the naked football player and clear eyes, fake oh, hearts. God. I did laugh pretty hard at that. Yeah. Yep. We also got a voicemail from Wendy talking about her favorite line. My comment at, regarding best line or whatever from season five is probably Freya's comment to Bo when she first sees her, where she says, why in the name of my illustrious afterlife are you fingering my flower? That was probably the best line I can think of out of all of them. I had forgotten that line completely, but that is a really good line. <laughs> well, now that I'm reading it spelled out, I'm like, oh yeah, that is a really naughty <laughs> Because it seems like such a throwaway line, and then you're all, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. And we're back to Georgia O'Keefe. <laughs> so let's talk about some of people's favorite character conclusions. Uh, I like what Little Bad Wolf said here. She said, I would say Vex. Season 5, we saw the fulfillment of his redemption arc, and the bar scene implies he still has the guy. Oh. And he was willing to die rather than betray his family and join Hades. I like that. That's really cool. I did like the way that Vex's story arc concluded. I, I picked Kenzie as my favorite, but I liked Vex's too quite a mm-hmm. bit. Because we had talked about, you know, Vex starting off his character arc as being such a villain. So it was nice yeah. that we did get, I think, an actual real redemption there towards the end. Yeah, such a such a one. But at the same time, I. He, I think they made him a little too cuddly in some some moments of the series. But I liked at the end of of the series, he still wasn't a hundred percent. It's not like he turned into Bo. Like right. he he got his mm. redemption, but I think he's still a bit of a of a loose cannon wild card type of character. So I'm glad he retained that aspect of him. Right. Yeah. And Meredith said, "No, the ending wasn't perfect, but it was for the most part satisfying." While there were many unanswered questions about exactly where characters ended up, I interpret the ending as these characters' lives and struggles continue. The most satisfying character ending was Bose. By the end, she's living life on her own terms. In the first episode, she proclaims, I choose humans. And that's in part what she did. She chose Kenzie. She chose Lauren. Oh! 
I like that. You know, it, I was just sitting here and that, that reminded me. I feel like in season five, there was that running thing of Lauren and the wine. I'm thinking back to, I think it's an It's Your Lucky Faye, where she comes in and she has like a bottle of wine and she's like trying to celebrate, but then she walks in on, on Tamsin and Bo kind of like, I think, I can't remember if they're smooching in bed or if they're just in bed together and they look like they might be about to do something. And so she kind of like turns around and walks out of the room. And then later on in Here Comes the Night, she makes that mention of like, oh, let me pop open the bottle of Chateau Moton Rothschild. I'm wondering if that's the same bottle of wine she had in, oh, it's in When God Opens a Window. That's the episode it happens in. And I wish they'd gotten to drink that at some point. (laughs) I'd like to think that they finally got to drink that bottle of wine together. That's really specific, Stephanie. (laughs) I know! I'm sorry! So how did this whole thing, uh, I don't know how Meredith's comment ended up deleting about this whole conversation about the wine, but yes. (laughs) I was thinking of Bo Bo choosing Lauren, and then I was like, I wish they popped open that bottle of wine that they kept trying to drink. And she was thinking about how she wishes she was drinking right now. Well, now that'll just add to my headcanon that after they had sex in the Beast, that she just whip out the bottle of wine and they drink it right there. Okay, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Once they go go back home to... To Lauren's apartment, where Crystal is waiting for them with that bottle of wine. <laughs> with the bottle of wine. But that's okay. a perfect segue to Day 10 Sexy Times. Yes. Oh, yes. Let's talk about the sexy times. I, I liked uh, Denise mentioned that It's Your Lucky Faye opened her eyes to the point of view of the Valcubus fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. I can laugh about it now, but I go back and I listen to that episode. and I You was were so, so depressed. I was so depressed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I was more depressed during that or after Valkybus, after Docubus broke up. But yeah. You were more depressed after Docubus broke up, but you yeah. were pretty darn depressed in that episode. I was pretty depressed. I'd had a bad day. But yeah, I like that Valkybus had an interesting sexy time scene with the bow and all, but my head cannon just rewrites it with Lauren. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> but I do, I, I think the scene post-sexy times with them. Yeah, that's a great scene. It's like, okay. It is a good scene. I get that. That was a great scene between the two of them. I really liked that scene. It's a damn good scene. And then you were not alone, Chris. Pixel 51 mentioned, like we said, there wasn't a whole lot to choose from in season five in regards to sexy times. But they said that the scene with Persephone in Like Hell Part 2 would be their choice. Shout out to the Bo and Lauren shower scene in Judgment Fay as well. <laughs> and what I should have done in our episode where we were, you know, trying to make up our own sexy off-screen headcanon-like sexy time scene, I should have spun one between Tamsin and Dyson. Yeah, what happened to your wolf pants? Or Valky wolf? <laughs> Not wolf pants, no. no. it's wolfery. <laughs> what happened to your wolfery ship? It's still there. It's still there. Okay. But, okay, because I, like I said, I rewatched Here Comes the Night the other day, and they have that exchange where Dyson says to Tamsin, you smell good wet. And oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Says, yeah, I do. Why were their faces not on each other's faces in that moment? Come on. There was stuff to do. <sighs> if I was going to be inappropriate, then I'd be like, each other. But I'm not. I'm not being inappropriate. <laughs> I liked those two as a potential romantic pairing. I was super bummed that that's not the choice yeah. that the the show went with, but I accept it. I accept it. I'll just I'll make little headcanon sexy time scenes. Tamsin lives and happily ever after with Dyson. Sylvia sent us a voicemail about Lost Girl coming to an end. 
When I first started watching Lost Girl, I guess I was about four seasons behind. Someone had told me to take the time and watch it on Netflix, and so I did. And I was completely awed by the actors and the actresses that played the parts, all the characters. I was really, really impressed by the on-screen chemistry between Bo and Lauren. That I have not seen between two same-sex characters in a long time, if ever. Some actors have the capability to do that, but it just seems so honest. That really captured me. The way Bo brings her family of friends together as a family reminds me a lot of how gay people in general, at least the, the people that I have hung with in my life, have always come to be my family. I found that to be extremely rare and just blown away by it. I was really disappointed when I found out that Lost Girl was going to be ending. I was devastated. I couldn't believe it. I just found the show and now it was already over. I know it sounds silly, but kind of like crying in my beer, if you will. The final episode left me hopeful that there may be another series coming with Bo's sister. I don't know where it would go. I don't know how it would go, but I would love to see the storyline continue to show us what happens with Vex, what happens with Bo and Lauren. Does Dyson ever find love? Those storylines, I would really, really love to see how they end. I have to tell you, I joined Twitter just because of Lost Girl, so that I could connect with fans and just have an opportunity to gush all over myself about how much I love Lost Girl. I admit that after the first time watching the entire series, I was a little obsessed and determined to rewatch it. I'm on my fifth showing of the series right now, and I know it sounds crazy, but you know it's like I just can't get enough of it. Thank you so much for that voicemail, Sylvia. So somewhat similar to Sylvia, Sylvia said she joined Twitter specifically to interact with, with Lost Girl fans. I actually joined Twitter, I don't know, in like 2009 or something, and didn't really use it that much, and left it just kind of sitting there, even though like I had an account, but it, it went unused for several years. And then I I sort of rejoined Twitter in a major way <laughs> to interact with, with my friends that I'd met through Lost Girl, mostly Stephanie. I remember that now. That's right. You like barely used Twitter before you really got into Lost Girl. I'm like, I have one. <laughs> it's been a while since I've used it. I don't really remember how it works anymore. <laughs> I would also be interested, like Sylvia was saying, in something to follow up on this series. I feel like they totally left the door open. And there are some big things that I think the show could still address. I love these characters so much. I'd love to revisit them in some way. Same. Yeah. Even if it's just like a follow-up TV movie or something. Yeah. Or if they do like regular TV movies every so often, I would totally be up for that. Mm-hmm. That me would too. be a lot of fun to me. Yeah. Also, I feel like I should mention Sylvia said that she was on her fifth viewing of the series, but she sent this in January. So I'm guessing sixth or seventh now, Sylvia? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I hear you on that sort of thing. There are shows that I do that where... I'll get to the end of it, and then I'll just be so sad that it's over that I will just immediately start rewatching it again. It's so nerdy, but I feel like I miss my friends. Yeah. <laughs> After spending so much time with them and getting so attached. 
Well, thank you so much to everybody who sent in feedback about season five. Again, I'm, I apologize that this took so long to get out and I couldn't include everything that everybody sent, but we really do appreciate y'all talking back to us. It's more fun that way. So thank you so much for sharing your thoughts about, about this last season of Lost Girl, as well as the show coming to an end. And since we'd originally planned this to be our big mushy episode, but enough time has passed that I think the impulse to be that mushy has passed. <laughs> yes. But I still wanted well, to say guys, a huge me, thank you but. to everybody who listens and who has met up with us at conventions. And people have been really, really sweet at conventions and, and mm-hmm. generous and gracious. And it's been really nice. And thank you. Yeah. Big thank yeah. you to everybody who has listened to the podcast and interacted with us online and in person. We really appreciate it. Yeah, that's uh, my favorite part of this fandom is meeting everybody at conventions and just doing this with you guys every week because it's nice to knock thoughts about and just knock thoughts about, not not naughty bits, but, you know, I don't know what the hell I'm saying. But <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's nice to have a fandom that understands you and gets you and becomes your second family so it's really cool Aww. and i see it continuing beyond lost girl because it's been over for a while now and uh yeah like you said we're still going so i think that's the best thing so thank you yeah, everybody like, like rebecca mentioned like like sally mentioned you know i have not been as sad about the show coming to an end as i thought i would be and i think a lot of it is that i found really good relationships with people through lost girl and those are still living on and that's really great and wonderful yeah. mm-hmm. same here and, you know, as everybody mentions, too, it's, I think the two greatest things the show gave us, the characters from Lost Girl and, and each other. Oh, <laughs> and the family. Is that happy enough for you? Yes. Funnily enough, we actually have our next two episodes already recorded. We <laughs> recorded them before we recorded this episode. It's a long story. Because our schedule... <laughs> It's a long story. Our schedule just got so wonky. So we know what the topics of our next two episodes are going to be. We're going to talk about Bo and the hero's journey in the next episode. And then the one following that, we're talking about... Oh my god, we recorded that months ago. I know. We're going to talk about Bo and Kenzie's relationship. So that's what's heading up in the very near future. If you have thoughts about, about those things and you want to try to sneak them into those episodes, go ahead and send it to us. I'll try to do my best to get them in there. You can send us an email, feedback at drinksatthedoll.com. You can record a voice memo on your smartphone and email it to us, or you can call our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. If you have any feedback about this episode, we'd love to hear it. You can go and leave a comment on the show notes over at drinksatthedoll.com slash 132. I'm so glad you could join us for Drinks at the Doll. My name is Stephanie. Yay for the family. My name is Annie. And I'm Chris. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. Cheers.